Welcome to Generous Impact. This is Brett Brummett. And I'm Amanda Brummett. We are joined today by Britt Udison, Executive Director of City of Good. Big thanks to our friend Lindsay Clark Youngworth for introducing us to Britt and City of Good. In this episode, you'll hear how they are helping food insecure neighbors across Boise enjoy nutritious and culturally appropriate food while also supporting local farmers and restaurants. Well, Britt, thank you so much for being here with us today. We really appreciate you. I would love it if you could start with just telling our guests um, who you are. Who are you personally and professionally? Super. Thank you. I'm Britt Udison. I'm the Executive Director of City of Good in Boise, Idaho, and I've been in this position since 2021. We were founded in 2020, and I was the first full-time employee. Before that, most of my professional life, not most, all really, other than serving pizza and pouring beer, all of my professional life has been in arts nonprofits. And so I went from being an Executive Director of a literary organization to uh, City of Good, which was an exciting leap for me um, and a great opportunity for me to be working for a city I love where I can ski and fish and be outside within a few minutes and my whole family's in the neighborhood. So that's me. That's fantastic. So when you started and made the leap to City of Good, was that your first time thinking much about food insecurity? Was that already on your radar or part of your personal mission? Yeah, there's a really long answer I could give you, but the sort of medium length one is I um, had never worked in or around food justice before. I certainly had always been aware of it, thinking about it. Um, I think it's worth saying, this sounds really stupid, but it's not. It's that I love food. I'm passionate about eating great food and having great access to food. And to me, I think that really emotional and important connection um, was an obvious leap for me into this. Also, because I have, you know, decades of professional experience in nonprofits to combine those two things alongside two other things, which are my sort of longing over the la- the first year or so of COVID to have a more tangible impact in my community. Um, I am from Minnesota and up until recently lived in Minneapolis three blocks from where George Floyd was murdered and to watch our community be so actively and deeply affected by COVID and all that came after it. I love my job in the arts, but I wanted to put my experience to use in more tangible and direct service to my community. Not that arts aren't essential, but I felt like after 20 years of nonprofit leadership, I know how to do the things and get them done. And then I have a deep passion for food justice, which to me means ensuring that all of our neighbors have access to delicious food that they like. And so um, it all sort of came together at the same time, my experience, my passion for the cause and the idea, and then um, this job coming up and available in a neighborhood I wanted to be in. So glad you defined food justice for me because I was going to ask you about that. Is that a common term that I've just missed? Coming more common, I think, and food justice means a lot more than that, but that's the little part that City of Good, not little, actually significant part that City of Good um, is committed to. But yeah, food justice is becoming more and more of a common phrase. And actually, I just got an announcement this morning for a USDA grant about um, helping farmers from traditionally marginalized communities have access to funding to start or support their farm. And I think The fact that the USDA is talking about food justice feels truly um, inspirational and hopeful to me. 
So yeah, it's, I don't know that it's, you know, people are throwing it around, you know, over the water cooler in every office, (laughs) (laughs) but it's certainly becoming a more um, studied and understood and talked about idea. Yeah. Well, your path sounds um, incredible and um, it sounds like making that jump was a heavy decision, but a really good one. Um, And on a lighter note, I cannot help but point out you started in pizza and beer and now you're providing food for people. So it kind of came full circle. (laughs) It's true. And actually years ago, I was on a panel about executive directors and like, how did you learn to be a good executive director? And I always credit it to John Serrano of Punch Pizza in St. Paul, Minnesota. (laughs) That's how I learned to run a business and hustle. So it kind of always comes back to pizza for me. Well, let's get into the details. Um, we've talked about this food. Let's let's tell people what you what you really do. Um, from food kits for kids and seniors to meals for refugees, fresh produce and shelf stable products for food insecure neighbors. It's it's a wide scope, and we want to hear about all of it. So it's such a wonderful story. I think City of Good was founded as an emergency response organization and has evolved into what I hope and believe is a trusted partner for our community around issues of food and uh, sustainability. So in March of 2020, the whole world was shutting down and all of us were seeing it and experiencing it at different levels. But here in Boise, two of our food leaders, Chris Kamori, who owns a restaurant called Kin, and Dave Crick, who owns several restaurants, including Bitter Creek and Red Feather here in Boise. And they were watching as these rulings were coming in and these safety decisions were being made, and they were going to have to lay off hundreds of people. And they not only were going to lay off their direct staff in the kitchen and in the restaurants, but also their food providers and the farmers who had put their life savings into the crops in the ground that suddenly weren't going to be at farmers markets or restaurants. And so they didn't know what they want need or how they were going to do it. They just knew that it was needed. So they gathered together a group of Boise leaders and visionaries to say, how can we address this and ensure food security and revenue for our colleagues in the food service industry, which, by the way, is actually a community that's generally at very high risk both for food security themselves, but also for addiction and depression. And so when you compound all of that in March of 2020, they knew one of their top priorities was to employ restaurant workers for as long and as significantly as they could to create meaningful work for them so that they were serving their community in a moment of crisis and to pay food producers and farmers and to get food to people who are going to be facing um, financial insecurity, just like the restaurant workers. So in the beginning, it was this three-point vision, serve people who need it, pay people who make the food, and ensure that farmers and food producers are going to stick around for the long haul. And so the first program was a fuel kit, and originally it was at the farmer's market where people, there was no question, if you needed it, you could pick it up. And then it grew into a deep partnership with the Boise School District where we were providing meals for kids identified by the school district as a need of food over the weekend. You know, there there was just an absolute like firestorm of 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 things hitting all at once. So a lot of kids who rely on school for food suddenly didn't have as much or as easy, easy access. And then those kids are the same ones who might not have meals over the weekend. So our leaders uh, pivoted. That was the word of the year, right? They pivoted to um, make ready-to-eat meals for children that would last over the weekend. 
So working with seven of our most, I think, wonderful, not only because they support us, but because their food is delicious, restaurants in the community, they were making weekend seal kits, which is a box of six ready-to-eat meals that would feed a kid for an entire weekend. So we were raising money to pay those restaurant producers and then working with volunteers to deliver that food every week. And at our height, we were delivering about 250 boxes, and each box has six meals per week. Then as schools opened and restaurants began to reopen, we did some really deep um, reflection and evaluation, interviewing our restaurant partners and our school partners to understand, is this still the program that is needed? And it wasn't. Um, suddenly, restaurants were struggling to keep employers that, or to keep um, employees, so they no longer needed to keep them busy. They needed more employees, so they had less capacity to make the meals. And the schools reflected back to us that while these were wonderful meals, hunger over the weekend is actually multi generational. And so they were asking us to think of ways to solve food security for their families over the weekend, for including the children, but aunties and grandmas and parents and older brothers. And so we then pivoted to fill the food pantries at all of our local school food pantries in the Boise School District. And the way that we did that was we contracted with a local nonprofit here in Boise called Global Gardens. And it's a it's refugee and new American farmers who ha have recently moved here and have experience and need revenue. So they are growing fresh, beautiful produce right here in Boise in partnership with Global Gardens. So we worked with them to purchase surplus. So anything that wasn't selling at the farmer's market or wasn't picked up at the CSA share, we would purchase from them, package it and deliver it to the Boise school districts to supplement what the food bank was filling in. We also did, um, and I'm going chronological order, so interrupt me if at any point I'm saying too much or you want me to move faster. No, um, I appreciate it. That helps my brain when you do it in order. <laughs> So then we were we continued to make these weekend field kits, but only for a very specific audience, which is children living as guests of interfaith sanctuary. And that's our family shelter here in Boise for people experiencing housing insecurity. So we continue to make those weekend field kits. We work in deep partnership with two restaurants who said that they still had the capacity and interest to carry this on. So every Friday, around 30 to 40 boxes are delivered to every child that lives at Interface every Friday. So that program lives on while we then um, switched the way we were serving directly in the schools to from ready to eat meals to fresh produce. And this again, it highlights to me the importance of our partnerships. One of the things we really pride ourselves on is that we work deeply with partners for several reasons. One, they're the experts on the audience they serve. And two, uh, they can help us expand our reach and we can help them elevate the work they're already doing. So the school district, once we decided to fill with produce, did a, a, a bit of study and evaluation with the families they served and asked, what do you want in the pantry? What would help your families? And they said, more fresh produce and more things that our families are familiar with. So I don't feel like me, like we pretty much never go to the grocery store without buying um, sriracha or harissa, like some sort of hot thing. Yeah. And if we didn't have access to that, none of our meals would taste like our meals. And so we, they reflected back that we weren't doing a great job as a community of filling those pantries with their version of the harissa or whatever it is they have to have. So 
we take a survey every month and find out what those families want in their pantries. And one of the things that, you know, we know about our schools is that each school has a very different population. One school might have a very high number of Afghan families, and one school might have a very high number of Congolese families, and their food traditions are different, so they're going to want different spices and shelf-stable items. So we're providing those, and that's just been, to me, one of the most beautiful programs I've ever been a part of, because obviously it's important for people to eat, but it's important for people to feel seen and feel valued. And we've heard back from the schools that since we started doing these deliveries, They've more than doubled the service reach to their families and families who come and access food at the pantries now are sticking around for um, other school-based services. So it's pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. Especially when everything they're encountering is new and different and you can give them something comfortable. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also, I think, you know, it's back to me for that idea of joy as well, that food is not only about survival, it is about joy and connection. And when we can provide that, it makes me pretty happy. So those programs are growing. And then we also expanded our weekend fuel kits into a program called the Senior Fuel Kit, which when we were doing our research at the time of sort of the reopening of the world, we learned that the population here in Boise most likely to experience food insecurity is seniors. And there's some great work happening with Metro Meals on Wheels and with the Idaho Food Bank, but we wanted to supplement that. So we researched to find out where the gaps were, and we learned that the specific population in our community is senior caregivers. So people over 65 who are caring for someone, and that could be a partner in hospice or a grandchild in school. And generally their person is being fed by a different program, but the caregiver is not. So we're delivering around 40 right now, and we're going to expand it quite significantly. But right now we're expanding around 40 of those up to 60 per week throughout Boise to senior caregivers. And um, let's see, senior field kits, weekend field kits, produce, pantry. That's not all. <laughs> we also, for the last two years, have been running the cafe out at the Shakespeare Festival, which is a wonderful arts nonprofit here in Boise on one of the most beautiful stretches of land in Idaho. And we've been providing all of the meals for their guests at the cafe with a 100% local menu where we pay our staff a living wage and work entirely with local food producers. We're not going back next summer because the big, big thing on the horizon for us is uh, City of Good is partnering with several other organizations in the community to build a, a significant food hub here for our city that will connect local food producers with people experiencing food insecurity in a bigger and more direct way. So we are moving into a commercial kitchen in downtown Boise where we will run all of our programs. We will produce more of our meals, allowing us to do more meals for groups and for different organizations. And then we'll have an earned revenue potential of providing meals and snacks. This commercial kitchen is within a wonderful building owned by a local music presenting organization called Duck Club or Tree Fort, if you've heard of them. So anytime there's a concert at this building called The Shrine, we will be providing the food and the catering. So I think that's it. I think I covered it all. <laughs> covered a lot. And I think it explained to me, you know, on your website, you have the graphic of the growth in produce and shelf-stable items. And we saw, you know, this year was a downturn, really look in the meal kits. And I, I'm guessing that upturn next year, is that due to the expansion of the senior kits in the kitchen? Exactly. 
so we we've got we're in conversation right now trying to figure out exactly um, how we're going to do it. But the vision is that we'll be delivering 100 senior fuel kits per week, as well as 100 congregate meals. And those are meals that you eat as a group. So we're working with different senior service organizations to find out where we need to be doing those so that groups of 25 to 100 can sit down together. Um, the studies that have been done recently by local senior service agencies show that not only is food security a problem, but um, community and isolation are a huge problem for our seniors in our community. So what we want to do is offer opportunities for seniors to not only get a great meal and possibly we hope walk away with some fresh local produce because we'll have a pop-up stand there as well, that they um, gather with others and feel a sense of community because that's becoming a real problem for a lot of us. So yeah, that's the big growth there as well as expanding. We would like to, within the next year, be providing meals for every resident at Interfaith Sanctuary. Right now we're providing them for children and the medically fragile, but we'd love to be able to provide for all of them over the course of the weekend. So some big numbers there for ready to eat meals. That is incredible. Um, I love the way that your organization, it seems like you don't, you don't get stuck in anything that you know when you need to move and you need to change and you need to adapt. Um, being nimble, is hard, especially when you've got a board and you've got donors. How have you managed to do so well at evolving quickly with the changing needs? And and how have you navigated all of that? I mean, part of it is just uh, sort of um, blissful ignorance and deep enthusiasm. Um, <laughs> Also, that's really in our in in our you know values and in in the, in the heart of our founding is the idea that we are, if we ever are just one thing, we shouldn't be here. That we want to be because needs evolve and communities evolve. We will always um, change as needed with our mission at the core, which is you know providing uh, equitable access to local nutritious food for all, in support of a sustainable food system. So whatever we do, it's got that at the heart of it. Um, and also part of it too, frankly, is a, a this you know, sound like I'm patting my own back, but it's organizationally, it's a, um, a lack of ego that our yeah. job here is to elevate the work of our partners and to solve food security. And we're never, ever going to have the, you know, the answer. So the instant we think we do, we probably shouldn't be around. Yeah. I think that's actually the mark of a good organization when you, you consider and contemplate that and and hopefully someday you work yourself out of a job. Yep, I hope so. It's, you know, it's a really strange time because we're celebrating our ability to double our programs and also, you know, mourning the fact that we're not even scraping the surface of the need in our community. Mm -hmm. yeah. With that kind of movement, change, diversity in services, pivoting, how do you, with all that, and you said you know you know you realize you're not even scraping the needs, the full needs. Like, how do you keep that momentum to go forward, move forward, and make you know the organization sustainable long term? You know, I we had a wonderful um, staff retreat this week, and and thinking about what our goals are, and I think I wrote down at some point that my dream is for us to execute our programs with joy and ease. And I think the ease is not always there. <laughs> it's been a bit of a scrum the last couple months, I'll be honest, and say that we, but the the joy is there. And I think that 
in looking around the table at my colleagues and that and our colleagues across organizations, we're so lucky to get to do this work and so lucky to have live in a community. I mean, Boise, Boise, I just shows up. And I think that is one of the things that keeps me here and brings me back. I've left Boise several times and I just keep coming back. But is that uh, the community desire for it to be the best place to live, really? And it's not just, you know, a brochure. It's that when we ask for help, people show up. When we start a new program, people learn about it and lean into supporting it. So um, that keeps us moving. I think working with some of the smartest community members um, is also really inspiring and keeps us moving. And then we get feedback. We learn that, you know, the access, the people coming to the food banks has doubled that an Iraqi girl cried the first time she saw her favorite spice at the food bank, that um, farmers want to donate to us because we have helped them grow their farms. Just to make clear, we pay all of our farmers, but a couple of farmers this right heading into the holiday season said, you've given so much to us this year, we want to donate 20 chickens or we want to donate this much bread because we couldn't have gotten through the last few years without the work of City of Good. So um, that keeps us going. So, yeah, uh, it's pretty easy to want to do more, frankly. <laughs> yeah, that is incredible. And I love the part about doing it with joy, but the audacity to make your goal to do it with ease is impressive. And um, yeah, most organizations, that's really hard. So I want you to keep me posted on that. And when you figure it out, let me know how to duplicate it so I could do the same. <laughs> but well, I love it. What a great goal. It's. It, I was thinking about it a lot recently because it has been such a scrum the last few months that I wouldn't. I if I was my employee, I would fire me because I think <laughs> I've always like if you're working consistently more than fifty hours a week, either you've got a bad boss or you don't know how to do your job. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, Brit, <laughs> oops, <laughs> it's both. <laughs> and so, what's great is that we have the ability in the next year to bring in more staff um, because I would never and I have done it I have colleagues who work too much and that is that's um that is a failure as an organization if my colleagues even though we're doing work that we would give up blood sweat and tears for if you're doing it too much if you can't go for a walk with your dog at the end of the day then then it your organization is not being run well so the ease part is really really important to me yeah and especially in the nonprofit world you've it's it's a struggle. You've you've yeah. got competing interests, and if you're doing your job well, you're running really efficiently. But also, yeah. we want you to want to come to work tomorrow. So it's tough. And I think the the thing about it is that, and I've said this, like former coworkers are probably rolling their eyes if they hear me say this again. That you know, work should be hard when you're doing it, but it shouldn't be all that you do. Like I expect my colleagues and myself to work really hard, but we do it because we love it. And we also don't work all the time, That there is an end point and you get to walk away and celebrate the good parts. And then also just not think about it, watch Netflix um, or whatever the thing is. <laughs> Make sure there's something so you're not stuck. But yeah. So, yeah. So you've had a long career in the different nonprofit arts industry and you're in inspiring organizations what are some of the outside organizations today that you are pulling and gleaning hope, inspiration, and joy from? Oh my gosh, there's so many. There's so many organizations doing amazing work. 
here in Boise, I partner with a lot of organizations I admire, um, the Boise Farmers Market, Fair Idaho. Um, I'm from, like I said, Minneapolis, and there's so many arts organizations that are just transforming the world there. And I think the Loft Literary Center, my former organization, is doing such beautiful and inclusive and joyful work. And I would also say the McKnight Foundation is changing the way we talk about partnership and leadership. So, I mean, I'm also inspired by like Taylor Swift and my niece. And so it's, it's all over the place. Um, but I get to, I'm very, the privilege of working with and alongside people who are curious and, and, and brilliant is my daily inspiration. That's super amazing. So what, what can people do for City of Good or for your, your team? What, what can we do to help support you, drive you forward, keep the joy flowing, make it easy? Thank you. Thank you. I mean, nonprofits always need money. Every dollar we get, we spend to serve our community. So supporting City of Good financially, Citygood.com is our website, is a is an always a wonderful way to support the work that we do. We always need volunteers in our community. And we also, we if people can really thoughtfully lean into supporting their local food system in whatever way they can, that's the best thing we can do for this, in my mind, right now. So eating locally when you can, supporting producers within your community where you can, going to locally owned restaurants, drinking local beer. Like this is a really fun way to make a difference in your community. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty cool. Well, Britt, thanks so much for being on and walking us through all that you do and all who you are. Thank you so much for being curious about our work. I really appreciate your interest and time. What an impressive organization that keeps adapting to meet the changing needs of their community. I'm so inspired by their story and by Britt's leadership. May we all strive to do our jobs with joy and ease. To learn more about this great nonprofit, you can find them at cityofgood.com.